Company of One, episode number 106, how to get started in a company without going broke using lean startups. We've heard all about lean. Today, I'm going to tell you what lean is. Welcome to the Company of One podcast featuring Dale Callahan, dedicated to helping you find freedom in life and with your career. Learn how to not only increase your income, but take control of the income you acquire. Let's ignite that inner entrepreneur in you. Now, welcoming your host, Dale Callahan. And yes, this is Company of One 106. I've been hearing a lot about lean startups. Uh, people talk about lean startups all the time. Eric Reese has written a wonderful book called Lean Startup that's been out for a few years. Uh, that that titled the name Lean. Probably many of you have heard Lean, Lean processes, Lean startups, and you know we talk about it. What does it mean? And also we talk about entrepreneurship and starting companies and the risk they're involved. And we hear all these great statistics about how risky it is and the failure rates and these kind of things. Well, I want to kind of pull back the shades a little bit and show you. Uh, kind of what's called lean, and, and it's um, not necessarily uh, something new. Actually, it's not new at all, but you know we talk about it a lot and a little bit differently now. But we want to talk about how you can get started, what entrepreneurship really looks like, and why uh, it's not necessarily this risky, crazy thing. Um, so what I've done, I've already, I recorded a video earlier for a group, and so I'm just going to play the video. You won't see the video. I do have the video posted at delcallahan.com slash 106. There's a link to the video there. You can watch it. There's nothing, no commitment. Uh, you can just watch it, the video presentation about this. Um, but, you know, the audio does 99% of the stuff that you care about. So if you're driving and don't want to watch a video, well, I don't recommend watching a video if you're driving. Probably not a good idea. Uh, so we. Um, this is part of... Anthony Witt and I had originally recorded a podcast together talking about lean startups and because, well, several things and my clumsiness and, well, we won't get into the details, but I I had done it uh, so many times, I thought, well, I'll just grab the video and post it here. Anthony Witt and I still are doing Entrepreneur Dream Academy. Uh, It is still coming up. Uh, We're going to probably close the doors really soon here. Um, I don't know what the details of that look like or when we hit the number of people. You can find the details in Entrepreneur Dream Academy at entrepreneurdreamacademy.com or you can go um, uh, to episode 106 and there will be a link there to do that, uh, delcallahan.com 106. But without further ado, uh, I want to just jump right into the concept of lean startups and get us talking through what is a lean startup. Hey everyone, this is Dell from dellcallahan.com, a website about entrepreneurship and getting you started from leaving your corporate rut. The uh, I'm going to talk wanted to record this video on lean startups, a presentation I've given multiple times and I thought, well, since I keep getting asked questions about it, I would record it and try to get it down one good time. So we think about lean startups. We hear the term a lot, lean, L-E-A-N, lean startups. And we think about, you know, um, startups in general. 
and let's just the term entrepreneurship. So if I think about entrepreneurship, how the world thinks about entrepreneurship is this. Um, they think it's crazy. It's without direction. It's high risk. It's random. You know, you're people running around with their hair on fire, risking it all, going for gusto. You know, we put everything into it, and we're either going to... Uh, we're either going to win big or we're going to crash big. And we're going to just be in one big mess. Broke, destitute, you know, living in a van down by the river. You know, and that's how the world looks at entrepreneurship. And it's kind of a scary thing if you look at it that way. Um, and by the way, there are some models of entrepreneurship to do that. I remember a friend of mine uh, borrowing over $1 million to go start a business and calling me, you know, as he was backing out of the driveway of his house and said, you know, I may never see my house again. Um, you know, and it worked out for him. Um, but it doesn't always, as we well know, we're doing that kind of high risk ventures that we look at. And that, but that's how we think about entrepreneurship. We think about it as all this high risk stuff and it's kind of glorified. That it's the big risk takers, you know, they're the guys doing the moonshot kind of thoughts. Well, not really. And and I'm gonna say, let me let me uh, deviate here and just say that I'm talking about most successful entrepreneurial endeavors, because you know there there's no one model that works. And by the way, anybody that tells you there is is lying. There's no one model that works, but there are some general principles that do work. And I see over and over and over again very successful entrepreneurs using a, a lean model. That's why it's a popular thing. It's not because we invented it. It's because we discovered, hey, this is kind of how it actually works. Um, so this, this is really what I see is entrepreneurship in reality looks like this. It follows a process. It's fairly low risk. It has some quick test and low uncertainty. Now, if you're thinking, Dell, you, you've been drinking to the Kool-Aid. You've been th you've, you've lost your mind because that is not what it's about. That's not what my company and my startup's about. Well, you know, if it's if you're an entrepreneur and you're not following a process, finding low risk, doing quick tests, having low uncertainty, and you know the things that go with it. Now, I'm, by the way, I'm not saying there's not risk. I'm not saying things work out, but. There is a process, and you have to think about process. If you're just in the entrepreneurial mode of just going in and doing things, well, you might be of the other model. This model works amazingly well, amazingly well. Is there money lost? Yes. You reduce the amount of lost. You probably have heard the term fail quick, and that's really what this is about. If you're going to fail in a market, do so quickly so you don't burn a lot of cash and you can move on to another market. So I kind of want to cover with you these, you know, there's a couple of steps here people break out. And I don't think they're necessarily magical, but they are steps that I see. And a lot of this comes from the book, Lean, The Lean Startup. Uh, so by, and Eric's book is really a great example of, of how you might go through this. Uh, he's probably the guy who defined the term maybe more than anything. So let's talk through some of these steps. Um, Step one in, in a lean startup model is to eliminate uncertainty. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that in a company? You, you avoid the just do it approach. 
You know, companies don't like that approach. We can do it, so we, we, we're going to just do it. We're going to get it done. You know, when, when a larger company, now larger companies don't tend to necessarily be entrepreneurial, but there are examples of it. But when a larger company does stuff, they do things looking for little signs of rewards. Little signs. And by the way, I'm even talking about skunk works type stuff, you know, really high risk adventures uh, that you might see that some of these companies that are taking that we might call skunk works. Google's doing some of it, uh, Apple's done some of it. Um, and, and we see these, you know, these SpaceX guys doing some of it. But they're doing things where they're, they're off, they're in skunk works, high risk mode, but they still have a process. I mean, read about it in the book Bold, B-O-L-D. The book Bold really goes into detail about how the process that I think Google uses uh, to, to determine projects to move forward, and almost on a daily basis, do you move forward to the next step or do you kill this project to move to the next one? So it's not a just do it. it. It's a what's the point of doing it? So we look at this process lean uh, is what they're using. Um, when we're talking about eliminating uncertainty. Now, lean, by the way, a lean is about eliminating uncertainty. It's about failing fast. It's about failing cheap. But really, the key is it's just about having a process that makes common sense, that you are following some guidelines. Now, I don't mean you have the guy in the stuffy shirt and the tie and the coat coming in and saying, well, this is the process. We're following it. I mean, there's just some basic things. And a lot of the entrepreneurial people I hang around, they're doing this process. They won't all call it lean. They won't talk about it even being a process. But they'll talk about testing, testing ideas, testing ideas. They're constantly testing, evaluating, and measuring. And these are people that, you know, may have an education of, uh, you know, they may have an education of a squirrel sometimes. I mean, they're just... They're, but because it's common sense, they're, and I'm not saying they're not intelligent. They are intelligent, but they don't have all these big fat degrees to, to make them think about all this complicated stuff. They're just using common sense and going through a process that pretty much everybody knows. This doesn't work. Try something else. This doesn't work. Try something else. This doesn't work. Try something else. And you do so, and you do so fast. Think about Thomas Edison. He was using a process much like this. He talks about, you know, the thousand failures. Um, can you imagine him taking a filament and putting on there, putting electricity through it, seeing, I mean, does it light up? I mean, he, there's some common basic principles that Thomas Edison uses. Does the filament light up? And does it stay lit? Right? If it doesn't light up and it doesn't stay lit more than a second, Throw that out and move to the next one. Quit messing with it. It's a test. Somebody brings me this material, if I'm Thomas Edison, and says, this, is, this material is going to work. Okay, let's, let's not have a meeting and discuss it. Let's not put together a project plan to try to figure out whether this filament will light or not. Let's put some electricity to it. Does it glow? It doesn't. Get out of here. You're an idiot. You know, your, your, your material doesn't work. Test done. I don't have to do all this complicated stuff that we talk about. So that's really what he was doing. And, you know, once you get to the point you got it glowing, now you start testing. 
you know, what's the environment to keep it glowing, to make it glow better, you know, and those kind of things is what what we're talking about. So we're, we've seen entrepreneurs and all of history doing lean startups. And so we're just saying use common sense as being done to it. Um, there is a figure in the lean startup um, book. And if you're watching this on the video, you've, um, you're, you're seeing this, but the figures in the lean startup book, it's actually probably better to Google it. The lean startup by Eric Reese. That's R I E S. Uh, and just look for an image. Uh, because it's probably better here than it is in the book. It's pretty small in the book. But, and you probably, if you're watching, watching this in video, you really can't read it that great anyway. But it's the idea of going, and in, in the example here in this figure is about software, which Eric was a software guy. You're moving from ideas to writing some code to collecting the data from the code to go back and regenerate ideas. So it's kind of going through an idea. Okay, let's just go build it and build it fast and then measure it. And then learn from it, and then go and and create new ideas and adjust from it. You kind of constantly doing this, and this is where and you see in larger companies take a process like this to developing software, where we used to go in and have these big long projects. That now what we're trying to do, and some of you probably work for those kind of companies. Now what we are trying to do is develop chunks of code, test it, evaluate it. Does that do what we want to do? Yeah, awesome. Okay, now let's move on. What's next? What's, you know, let's let's constantly evaluate rather than spending months and years into test, into evaluation. Now, Eric tells a story, and I met him at a conference uh, uh, probably right after the book came out, but he was telling a story about writing a bunch of code. Now, I don't know how many lines of code, but he spent months writing code. And he thought it was awful, and nobody downloaded it. Now, so he was kind of glad because he thought the code was awful, but he was kind of bummed because he spent all this time and nobody downloaded it. And they were, they were evaluating, they were sitting around evaluating what went wrong. And somebody said, you know, if we would have just had a screen, and think about an iPhone app kind of thing. If we would have just had a screen that said download here and we described it and all it did was nobody clicked download, we would have... With that little code, almost no code at all, we would know as much as we know now after six months of coding. So in other words, it was the buy screen, right? Uh, on, a, on a website or something. And they were like, oh, God, let's create a buy screen. And when somebody starts buying something, then let's go create the code behind it. Um, if you're not a coder, maybe that doesn't make sense to you. But it's, it's kind of the sell it and then build it mentality. So it's, it, it's really kind of what we're doing is eliminating uncertainty. And, and a lot of this from an entrepreneurial aspect of eliminating uncertainty is to, do you know that there's a market? Is there a market for your product? So many times what we're doing as entrepreneurs is we're building products and services and we're spending a lot of time and, and effort doing it. And nobody wants to buy them. You know, the field of dreams Build it and they will come, which is a lie. Build it, they will not come. You know, even if it's awesome, oftentimes they will not come because that's not the key. The key is understanding if there's a market. So really the eliminating uncertainty is about constantly evaluating, constantly testing. From an entrepreneur's point of view, it's constantly evaluating what are people paying for. And you've probably, anybody familiar with the book, um, uh, well, any of Seth Godin's work, and he constantly uses the term, ship it, 
just ship it. Get something built, get it out the door, get it tested, get it evaluated. Uh, let's quit working on it. Let's quit trying to protect it or perfect it. So anyway, the idea here is eliminating uncertainty. Let's move to number two, is work smarter, not harder. The question is not, can we build this product, which is related. That's not really the question here that we're talking about, can we build this product? The question is, should we build this product? Um, and maybe the more important question is, can we build a sustain? Can you build a sustainable business around this set of products or services? I mean, there's so many people I meet with that have great ideas for products, services, but they don't have a sustainable idea. Let me give you a case in point. Um, a, a guy I know was working with um, that that was doing venture capital, angel investment capital. These people came to them and wanted some investment. And so he started talking to them, and what and what did you, what did this company do? They built software to you know video controlling for for uh, television stations, and so they, their software controlled the video, and it was specifically built for PBS stations, so public broadcasting systems here. If you're if you're not in the United States, but um, the price of the video, and I think I, I couldn't remember, but I'm just going to I think these numbers are right. You know, the price of the software was about a thousand dollars. Um, and it was a one-time fee. The guy was going to sell it, and he was all pumped up, you know, because it was a great price point. Uh, it was a great price for a product. Uh, it, it was cheaper than the other stuff, so he thought he could get in there and sell the station. So, so my buddy started asking him, "Well, how many stations are there?" Well, there are 349 PBS stations in the United States. So he just took out a napkin and kind of wrote on it and said, okay, well, there's 349 stations. There's $1,000 each. Let's just do the math. If you sold to every single station this year, you make $350,000. Now, so the guy was kind of excited because, well, that's a pretty cool number. He says, what are you going to sell next year? I mean, $350,000 sounds like a lot of money, but it's not. It's not a sustainable business. You know, because he was asking him, do you have any competitors? Oh, yeah, we have a couple of key competitors. Okay, well, let's just cut that number in half. Let's see you do an awesome job. Let's cut the number in half. Uh, let's actually probably cut it down to 10% of that. So you're only going to sell $35,000 this year. Right? I mean, you see the idea that there's nothing that if you, if you have a big year, you've got, you killed yourself for next year. If you have a terrible year, it's not really that exciting. $35,000, and that's not including expenses. So that's it's this kind of common sense. We, we call this, and if you look at my blog, I call it an opportunity analysis. We have to go from ideas. Everybody has great ideas, but you have to move from an idea to an opportunity analysis. And really, the opportunity analysis is just it's doing the math, doing simple math. Good entrepreneurs can do this within minutes hours you know because you're constantly evaluating ideas and you're saying is there a business here now i'm not suggesting this pbs guy couldn't figure out and come up with another model of how to make this work but his current model was bust so you got to find a way how do you make this work how do you make this a sustainable business uh, so that's that kind of question is you got to when you're talking about working smarter and not harder build something that it's going to make money, and it's going to be sustainable. There's so many companies that I see people working on 
that are really one-time shot deals. They're projects. They're not companies. We're solving a problem. They're a consultancy. So charge a consultancy fee, go in there, build the software, get out. Because they're not a business. So, you know, that's that's part of the what we're doing here. Now, step three is probably the key that the key motto that you hear in the lean startups. And it's what's called develop an M MVP. That's not your most valuable player, but perhaps it's what it should mean. It is your minimally viable product. And you'll hear this a lot when you when you listen to podcasts or speakers are talking about building a minimally viable product. And at first, it, this was a technology thing. I'm trying to, you know, I'm doing a new technology startup. I'm trying to build a minimally viable product. But, you know, that's what, now it's moved into everything from websites to, you know, uh, clothing or anything, the minimally viable product. And I call this inverse scope creep because I come from a large corporation and, um, you know, software projects and, and, uh, and we know what scope creep means, right? We had a really great idea. And then somebody else said, well, we, if we could only do this, if we could only do this, it's kind of like building a house. You know, you ever if anybody that's ever built a home, you know, you come in and you say, well, we're just, we're just going to build kind of a simple home. Um, I mean, a lot of times it goes the other way, but, you know, but I see this very often. We're going to build a simple home in this property, you know, and, okay, that's, wow, we're going to do this. And we start looking like, well, maybe we should just add another room over here. You know, especially as you walk over the property in the builder's building and you say, hey, can we do this? Hey, while you're putting on those countertops, can we make them marble instead? You know, And you start changing the project as it moves. And, and what started out as something fairly simple has become something fairly complex. So in developing a minimally viable product, what you want to do is tear it apart and do just the opposite. You always want to be asking, is this the bare minimum product I can deliver? What does the market really want? Let's throw out all the features and the bells and the whistles and just get to the brass tacks and get out what what's mat- matters most. Let's build fast and furious. A lot of people make fun of Microsoft, you know, for delivering products that don't work. But Microsoft, and be clear, they go through plenty of testing. But there's the... You can only do so many stupid things in a laboratory environment. I remember when I was testing in the telecom world, we spent months writing test plans to test systems because as they got out, and and some of it would be what the customer would do, and we would try to think about all the crazy things customers would do. And we never thought crazy enough. And, you know, and some of the things we thought customers would clearly do, they didn't care about. We would build features in. And, oh, this was an awesome feature. Well, nobody knew what it did. Nobody cared. Nobody would try. Maybe if they tried, they would have loved it. Maybe it was our fault for not explaining it. But, you know, they just didn't care. So you wrote code and software, and it's in there in the system, and it took you time and effort, and nobody cared. I can guarantee you this. If you're building a product or service right now, about half of what you're thinking about putting in, and I'm being conservative here, probably really 90% of your product nobody cares about. You're focused in the wrong areas. 
I don't care how many market studies you've done. I don't care how many times you've talked to your potential customers. I don't care. You're wrong. All planning on customers. And, you know, people talk about writing business plans. I can guarantee you one thing about a business plan. On the day it is written, it is wrong. Now, I'm not saying there's no some value in planning. But you just have to know it's just a guess. It's just a guess. How do you know when it's right? When you put a product on the market. There's something magical when somebody that says, Hey, man, I would love it if you guys would build that. To the, you say, okay, here it is. It's one thousand dollars. Oh, and I don't really want that. Right? I mean, when people start spending money, that's what that's the market survey you need to focus on. That's the market survey. You you may have heard this five whys for solving a problem in problem resolution, um, and this is in in the Lean book on page two thirty. In case any of you want to reference it. But the you know the five whys, if we look at manufacturing, you know, the, the machine broke down. Why? Because uh, this thing got caught, you know, and so it got hung up. Why? Well, because it had a lot more oil on it than it needed to. Why? Because this process before that had an oil leak. Why? And you see, a lot of times in manufacturing you ask five whys. Rather than just try to, you know, pick the thing up, unjam the machine, and keep moving on. What you're trying to do is say, why did it stop? Because the cost of it stopping on a manufacturing plant is high. So you don't want it to break down again in, a, in the next hour. You want to get to the problem resolution as quickly as possible. Same thing here. You kind of want to keep asking questions. Why? Is this the bare minimum? Why? What does the customer really want? And, and maybe you know the why is not the question, but you keep wanting to ask questions. What's, what is the bottom line? I remember I was in the board of directors of a company, and they were developing a software for the legal environment. And there was a lawyer sitting on there. He was on the board, too, and he was sitting there next to me. And um, we were watching them in their presentation for the software they were going to uh, move to the legal environment. And I was partly brought into the board because they were trying to raise $2 million for the software. And it was, it was a profitable company, but they wanted $2 million investment on the software. And they were demoing the one little part that they had working, and then they showed PowerPoints of all the other awesome stuff they were going to do. I mean, it was awesome software. It could do anything. You know, basically, you didn't need a lawyer anymore. Uh, the, uh, and the attorney sits over there and leans over to me and says, man, that little part that they got working already, that would be awesome. That's the part I care about. So, you know, we asked them, we said, hey, you know, that little part you got working already, it solves one little problem for lawyers, and it's awesome. And, and we're sitting here saying, I'm not an expert, but, my, you know, our lawyer friend here is, and says he would buy that now. Why don't you just package that up, ship it, get it on the market, start making revenue, start engaging with your customers, and learning what features they want to add. They wouldn't do it. By the way, they never built the software. Um, you know, so that it's that kind of mentality that you kind of do is just get it out there. Get it out there absolutely as fast as possible. Now, step four is what we call using validated learning. Um, and I, I love this quote, so I'll just give this to you. Startups exist not to make stuff, make money, or serve customers. That's not what they're here for. They exist to learn how to build a sustainable business. I kind of like that quote 
because we get caught up in the making money. Yeah, making money today doesn't necessarily solve your problem. Serving customers. You got to be careful. That is what we're here to do. We are, matter of fact, we're here to do all of these things to make stuff to make money or to serve customers. But the real thing about business is you've got to create a business. What you're trying to create is a business and a sustainable business, not just serving your customers. You could serve your customers by sweeping the floor, right? What you're trying to do is build a business. Because if you build a sustainable business, you serve customers for a longer time, you make more money, and you're going to make more stuff. And more importantly, you're going to make the right stuff. So we use this validated learning concept in step four to do this. How do you learn? Uh, partly, you lean not on your own wisdom. We're all really smart, you know. We understand, especially if we're in the market and we're the expert. You know, you got to be really careful in thinking, I want this, so clearly everybody else does. That's that's wisdom. But you need to ask lots of questions of lots of wise people. Customers, investors, whoever it is. Now, I don't mean you need to spend all your days doing it, but you need to listen. Listen. One of the greatest things we ever did in, in our company that sells to the homeschool market is we had some products and services. And so we were selling, right? We had a business. It was a sustainable business. We were putting stuff on the market. And customers started saying, would you guys build this? Do you have this? And it was the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. They kept asking us the same question. Can you solve this problem? And what they wanted is they wanted a, a course on geometry. Now, I hated geometry. I didn't want to fool with geometry. It was kind of a lower level course. We were doing more advanced stuff. And so we kept saying, no, 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 don't do it. No, sorry, don't do it. And finally, my wife says, you know, if a bunch of customers keep asking you the same question over and over again, maybe you should build that product. Because again, now if the first key here is we were engaged with the customers, they were sending us money already. So they were, they were engaged in a financial transaction and also in feedback loop. And the money in the game does matter. I don't want the opinion of people who are not willing to spend money on our products. It's just not that valuable. But when we built that product and we released it, it instantaneously became our biggest seller and, and was our biggest seller even, well, it's probably not quite anymore, but it, it, you know, up until just recently, it was the top seller we had. We just couldn't keep it on the shelf. So you, it's validated learning. It's listening. It's experimenting. It's split testing. It's some other things that we do. So let me give you let me give you some examples of experimenting and split testing. Now I'm sh I'm showing this on a video. If you're listening, just an audio. But you don't you don't you can just close your eyes. Not if you're driving, please. You can close your eyes and imagine this. Imagine the Amazon screen. You're there on a book. Uh, what color is the Add to Cart button? Now, most of you probably just intuitively are going to say it's orange because we've been here so much. You know, we spend our entire budget. Um, if you're watching the video, this book here is the Lean Startup that I'm showing. So it's just the book page for the Lean Startup. Amazon 
experimented with the color of this button. Now they start with some wisdom. They probably figure black is not the right color, or maybe red, maybe orange, maybe green. You know, there's some colors that you might logically think would be good colors. Probably not pink, you know, probably not dark blue, you know, but some colors that drag attention. But the way they got this color the way it is, is they constantly experimented. And what they might do is what they call a split test. And this is easy to do on a website, is you, um, you have it, if I come to the Amazon page, the button's blue. And if you come to the Amazon page, the button's green. And they test it. And they constantly would change the colors and evaluate which one got more clicks. And they, they zoomed in. They, they, they came down to orange. Well, it's not just orange. It's the exact tone of orange. What does the button say? It says, add to cart. They tested that. What's the font? Where is the book? Is it on the left-hand side, the right-hand side? Where is the add to cart button? They, I mean, what they're doing is they're saying, what maximizes profit? It's validated learning. Sure, they're a bunch of smart people. But they're also smart enough to know, I'm going to let the customers decide, and I'm going to do whatever gets the most profit. Validated learning. And one way to do validated learning is what I would say is charge the customers now. We hear a lot of people talk about alpha tests and beta tests where I'm going to give stuff away to customers. I used to uh, agree with that, but as I've seen it done, and maybe it's just changing times, but as I've seen it done, um, people who get stuff free aren't committed. They won't show up to help you test things. Um, it's not a critical part of their process, and they'll be the most whiny complaining people you've ever dealt with. They'll make you want to go out of business quickly. Because people who don't have anything invested, think about this, if you invest money, you've put skin in the game, and so now you're gonna show up. The bigger the investment, the more likely it is you're gonna show up. Think about if you join a gym, right? If you join a gym and you're paying $10 a month. Oh, I'm not gonna go this month, I feel, you know, I'm beating myself up about it because I should be at the gym, but it's just 10 bucks. What if you're paying 250 bucks a month? You're probably going to show up. By them charging you so much money, they're actually helping you get into shape because you're invested now. And so the charging customers gets them invested. Uh, now, there's another concept that I alluded to earlier is to sell it and then build it. Um, some of you may know, um, if you watch Shark Tank, know Damon Johns or John Damon's. I never know which way his name goes, but he was there at the conference with us with, um, with uh, Eric Reese talking about Lean Startup, and he was talking about starting his company called FUBU. Now, if you don't know what FUBU is, F-U-B-U, uh, you can look it up. It's it's uh, hip hop clothing. I think it's hip hop. Anyway, music. LL Cool. LL Cool J. Anyway, obviously not my kind of music, so I don't necessarily know. But anyway, the uh, is um, this was kind of a a new movement, and and he liked hanging around it. He liked the music. He liked the culture. And so he decided he was going to make some clothing. Fubu is for us by us. Some clothing made for that culture, that hip hop culture, that was made by them and for them. And he was telling the story. It was hilarious because if you if you've ever met the guy, he's a pretty funny guy anyway. But uh, 
he was just telling the story that how how he made got started because you know he wasn't a wealthy guy at the time, so he was. And I think he said it was like an MTV show, and they had all these these uh, these hip hop artists that were singing one after another, and they were taking the stage. And he would go to them, and he had this shirt, the Fubu shirt that he had made, and he would go to them, "Hey man, will you wear my shirt?" "Yeah man, I'll wear your shirt." "Yeah, will you wear it on stage?" "Yeah, go up there." "Yeah, thanks man." And he goes up there, and they go and they perform, and on stage, and I think it's on MTV again. And he comes off, and he says, "Man, give me my shirt back." He grabs the guy's shirt back. And he puts it on the next artist, and he gets and he talks the next artist into wearing his shirt. You know, so if you're watching it, you constantly see these artists that you're you admire and you buy their music wearing Fubu, and it was just awesome. And so from some of the things he did that were kind of crazy like that, he got a lot of sales. And I forget his company's worth hundreds of millions of dollars when it was sold. I don't know I don't know the rest of the details, but it worked. Let's just put it that way. It worked. But think about it. Rather than building boxes and boxes and boxes of shirts and having them in inventory and trying to sell them, which is what we typically do, he had one. He built it one at a time. Now, I know some technology companies. A friend of mine was presenting to a group for me. And uh, to our IEM class, our information engineering class, and we, we brought him in. He's an entrepreneur building technology products, and people are asking him how much inventory he had. And it was the same answer. And he, he said, we build them. And he held up one finger. We build them one at a time. When we get an order, we build it. You know, we don't, we don't have an inventory full of this junk. We build them one at a time. So great model. Now, here's another model. Build them none at a time, or well, still one at a time. From You're probably familiar with ShamWow, and um, I don't know the guy's name. Somebody told me the other day, but ShamWow, the, the commercials, the infomercials, and all the different infomercials. Now, if you just notice, number one, they're well put together commercials or annoying or comical or however you want to look at them. But notice a couple of things. They do a lot of testing. There's a couple of things that... Um, that I noticed when I first see, started seeing them, allow six to eight weeks for delivery. What? Six to eight weeks for delivery? What What kind of, have these guys never heard of the mail system? What are they going to do? You know, bring it to you personally? No. Six to eight weeks for delivery. What they have is it costs about $50,000 to film one of these commercials plus airtime. So let's just say you're in for, you know, $70,000, $80,000. If they don't get seventy, eighty thousand dollars worth of orders, they're not going to build the product. They got to, they got to move into the profit zone, right? So what happens if you go in there and order it, and they don't get enough? They just refund you your money. So in other words, six to eight weeks for delivery. I don't have any product in the warehouse. I've got to manufacture it before I ship it to you. It's just in time manufacturing. By the way, these guys are great at testing everything else too. If you've ever noticed on the end, you know they'll, they'll say things like, you know, um, now they're saying things and they found out this works really, really well. Is you know, if the lines are busy, just call back. Now, can they? Can these guys not get more phone lines? Absolutely. Can they route lines better? Absolutely. What they mean is, there's a statement of urgency. We expect the phones to be busy. They tested that statement and realized that draws phone calls. So 
these are all these are all lean startup methodologies, maybe before the word lean became popular, but these are all things. So here's just the basics. You start small, because if you start small, mistakes are smaller. You think sustainable, not ideas, but opportunities. You grow lean and slow. And one of the things I, I kind of do in business, um, I don't know this is always a great model, but I see a lot of people do it, and I think there's some wisdom there. We grow and we almost have no choice. I've spent a great amount. It's September right now. I've spent a great amount of summer uh, upgrading systems on some of our businesses or helping upgrade systems. And um, we just did it because we had to. And it was painful. (laughs) But we weren't going to spend the money until we just had to. And we had to get bigger systems. And we went to one bigger system. Oh, you had to go to this bigger system to support it. And it just got more and more complicated. But and, and you know you're thinking well Dale that was poor planning maybe it was, but we are not we don't spend the money we don't do things until you have to do them in business and you know it works and I when I look at a lot of businesses that's pretty much what I see I mean with some logic that's pretty much what you see. Here's the key statement in entrepreneurship: make sure you have customers before you have products. That statement is shown over and over again. Make sure you have customers. Make sure you have customers before you have products. There's no need to have a warehouse full of products, even if they're virtual products, even if you're building a course online. Like right now, I'm doing some online courses, and I'm evaluating what courses do people need the most because I don't really want to spend a ton of time developing course content when there's no demand, when nobody appreciates it, when nobody wants it. So these are all concepts of Lean Startup. Hopefully this was helpful to you guys. Again, you can find out more about this, about Lean Startups, about entrepreneurship at DaleCallahan.com. All right, coming away from video world back to the real world again, or uh, the uh, audio world, the... Um, the what we want to do is do entrepreneur dream academy thank you so much for paying attention here hopefully this was useful to you to talk about lean startups entrepreneurdreamacademy.com uh if you can't spell that because you can't spell the word entrepreneur i totally get that uh it took me years to figure out where the u goes in that thing but you um you can uh, go to adelcallahan.com slash 106 and get the link to entrepreneur dream academy the um Again, we are probably closing this pretty soon and going to kick off doing some coaching. Uh, Anthony and I have had a great time talking about this, doing this, getting started with it. We'll get out some of the last emails uh, shortly uh, to to the people of something else I've done a lousy job of doing, and I, hopefully he's done a better job than I have. The um, We want to do a... Um, uh, uh, kick off of the Entrepreneur Dream Academy pretty soon and get used to the, those of you that are already in it. Uh, you're hearing from us, and so we'll uh, we'll get that thing kicked off. So thank you so much for attending uh, to be take part in Lean Startups. If you have any questions, always feel free to shoot me an email at dale at dalecallahan.com, Twitter at dalecallahan, Facebook, whatever. Um, my name is just pretty much the tag on each one of those. Um, Be glad to help you out, uh, especially if you want to talk through some of this lean startup stuff. 
And always, I appreciate any of all of those of you that have done iTunes reviews and given feedback uh, on iTunes. And uh, just beg of you, if you haven't done that, do it. Go over to iTunes, uh, click on the uh, Company of One podcast and give a review. And shoot us an email or Twitter or something. Email probably is best for that. But um, shoot me an email and let me know that you did that so I can give you a shout out and thanks um, to that. All right. You guys have a great one. Go do some lean startups.